Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. This week on the Chicago Bears Review. After 20 games and almost 60 shows, Larry D is ready to close the book on the 2016 season, but not before going back to take one more look at the year that was. What were the positives despite the record, and where do we need to improve? Lauren Cox from BearsWire.com joins us on the Year in Review episode of the Chicago Bears Review. One last show to put the bow on the 2016 season before we close the book on it all. And it's all about 2017 from here on out. What's going on, everybody? Larry Dak for the 2016 Year in Review episode of the Chicago Bears Review. And we have a rather lengthy conversation with our good friend Lauren Cox from BearsWire.com to help us recap the year. So, um, you know, I won't be long in, in, in talking about any much, uh, much here. Um, not a lot of news uh, since the uh, final press conference. Um, Lauren and I do touch on that a bit, so I won't uh, go into it uh, too much. And, um, you know, really, it's uh, this is episode 59. The first one was the free agency preview back in March uh, of 2016. And here we are on the ninth day of January in 2017, the 59th and final episode uh, of uh, talking about the 2016 season before we just get ready for 2017 free agency, the draft, um, and so on and so forth, schedule release, and uh, and everything in between. So Lauren and I cover an awful lot. Uh, we break down the schedule, kind of go quarter by quarter, talking about things that went wrong, things we wish we had seen. And so far, we really covered a lot. I mean, we, we covered a ton uh, in the in the conversations. Really good conversation is, and it was kind of like uh, last year when I had Ron Rugg from Footballs America uh, on the show. It was more of a conversation about the season and how it went, as opposed to me interviewing Lauren about uh, about what he saw and, and so on and so forth. We really just kind of talked about. Uh, the year was a lot of fun, and, and we, like I said, we covered a ton. We talked about free agency, where the Bears should go in the draft. We even covered a touch of the uh, 2017 opponents and what we have forward, uh, what we have to look forward to uh, in the upcoming uh, season. So, uh, lots to talk about, and, and we did cover a ton. So, uh, I won't, uh, I won't keep you much as far as that goes. But um, you know, I, I just want to take this opportunity to thank you guys. Um, this was my 10th season, uh, doing the show. Um, it's, um, you know, it's, it's amazing to me that I'm still at it. Uh, not because I, I hate doing it or anything like that, but because I know you guys are out there, so I keep doing it and I keep looking forward to it. Um, it's been especially a lot more fun the last couple of years now that I started, 
uh, interviewing us, uh, you know, guests and having people on the show uh, to kind of bring uh, perspective and insight from the fan bases of the teams that we play. Something I definitely plan on continuing uh, to do uh, going forward. Um, so next year to be the AFC North and the NFC South. Uh, so aside from uh, Sander Phillips, we're going to be inviting seven brand new friends to the show next year. Everyone from the AFC North is the first time that uh, we'll be talking to them and the remainder of the football teams from the NFC South. So the Saints, the uh, the Panthers, and the um, um, Falcons, the the Saints, the Falcons, and the uh, and the Panthers to go along with Sander Phillips, who we've had on the show, uh, thanks to our same place opponent finishings uh, the last couple of years. We play the Bucks again because they're in the NFC South rotation where we're playing uh, next season. So uh, we look forward to having everyone back on the show, and then of course we got Philadelphia and San Francisco as our same place opponents. So we'll have those. Uh, teams back as well and then all of our our good friends from the nfc north uh chris gates and evan western and um jeremy reisman uh back on the show to talk about that uh uh as well so it's uh it's gonna be a lot of fun hopefully we'll uh we'll have everybody back um you know uh, to talk about the preview episodes and previewing the season and uh to to also have Scott Wright from uh, DraftCountdown.com to help us preview uh, the 2017 draft, a critical one for the Bears. And, uh, you know, Scott's a guy that uh, that endorses that you can never pay too much for a franchise quarterback. Does he have that same attitude about the Bears picking at number three in the first round um, where it doesn't look like San Francisco or Cleveland are going to take a quarterback with the first two picks in the draft so basically it looks like the Bears will have a choice at any quarterback they want or whoever there is at the number three spot when the Bears are picking does he think they should trade down and and uh, you know take take up more picks and and whatnot and uh, you know we'll get uh, Scott Wright on the show uh, at that point uh, to talk about it uh, then so uh, as of right now unless there is a major shakeup or big news or anything like that it kind of looks like we're going to be on a break for the next uh month or so maybe a little bit longer um when uh, free agency hits it's usually the first second week in in march and i the, the first episode that i did for 2016 was the free agent preview and i looked at i posted that show on march the 4th so somewhere around that point is probably when we can expect to hear back uh from me um, you know, to preview free agency and, and who the Bears should go after uh, and whatnot, who our targets should be, what the rumors say the Bears are going to be after uh, and so on. So we'll have a lot to cover uh, at that point. Um, you know, last year we had the 85 Bears 30 for 30 to kind of break up the space between the end of the season and free agency. But I don't think I'll I don't think there's anything out there that's going to be um, worth talking about or doing a show over. Uh, at that point between now uh, and then. So pretty much this will be the last you hear from me for almost two months, actually, until about a week or so before free agency kicks off. I'll come back and do a uh, free agency uh, preview. But don't uh, don't count out that uh, I could come back for for something impromptu if something big goes down 
uh, you know, with the Bears or in the NFL or anything like that between now uh, and then. So right now that's the plan. Going to take a nice little break to polish off the winter. And at the beginning of March, just before free agency is when you can expect to hear back from me. Otherwise, uh, just keep in touch on the Facebook page. Just search Chicago Bears Review on Facebook or uh, Shy Bears Review on Twitter and Instagram uh, to stay in touch with me and and find out what's going on uh, with the show. So um, I think that's all I have for now. So what we're going to do is go ahead and step back, invite our good friend Lauren Cox, and listen to this interview, uh, conversation, not interview, the conversation between myself and Lauren Cox as we recap the 2016 season for our beloved Chicago Bears. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. So here we are to wrap up this 2016 season. And, you know, I never thought that I would say this again. And I, I said it at the end of the 2014 season because what a miserable year that was. I am so glad that this year is over with and here to enjoy that year along with me. Uh, Lauren Cox from BearsWire.com. Lauren, welcome back. And, um, you know, let, let's let's get this over with. What do you say? Yeah, it's going to be uh, quite an enjoying process, won't it? <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. So, I mean, we'll just go through the season, you know, real quick. I mean, uh, you know, as quickly as humanly possible here. I mean, first of all, in the preseason, we kind of got an inkling that things were not going to be great. And I mean, like right off the bat, the loss, the shutout loss to Denver. Then we come back, we got some fight in us. We take it to New England there, you know, 23 to 22 lose to them and then where we really saw the kind of the bottom fall out to where we all just kind of got this sense like uh maybe the yeah maybe we should be hitting the panic button was that dress rehearsal game against kansas city we lose 23 to 7 and it wasn't even that close and you know before you know it we're into the regular season and it's just it just never looked like the bears were ready for 2016 i mean granted we had injuries right from the outset but it just never looked like, even as a fully healthy football team, that this team was 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 geared for what was ahead in 2016. Yeah, you know, they came out week one against the Texans, and at least in that game, you know, Jay had his issues, but they were still up at halftime, 14-10. You're kind of like, okay, you know, they're hanging with the Houston Texans at least a little bit, but 
even in that game, you could kind of feel it slipping away from the start, you know, and even in that second half, you're like, oh boy, this this doesn't feel like it's going in the right direction. And, and that ended up sort of being the formula for a lot of games this season where it bears come out pretty strong or at least decent enough to keep the game close going into halftime. And then they just come out completely flat in the second half and end up getting rolled. And it, it didn't seem to matter necessarily who was even healthier on the field because that that just seemed to be the recurring formula across the board and loss after loss after loss there was there was a lot of things to be encouraged about early on and then second half comes out you stop running the ball you know the quarterback starts getting a little inaccurate not a lot of adjustments from your team and the other team pulls away but you know at least with the second and third games against uh, Dallas and Philadelphia you, you kind of felt like okay those two are are potential playoff teams that are really headed in the right direction and you could kind of feel like the Bears lost to a better team and and that's that's acceptable at this stage in in John Fox's regime here that you know they're going to come against opponents that are just better than them and they're not going to be able to keep up and obviously once Jay goes down against Dallas or I guess against Philadelphia and then he doesn't play against Dallas you kind of know what's coming there with with Brian Hoyer under center against potentially playoff teams. I know Philadelphia didn't make it, but obviously Dallas did, and, and they're looking like a Super Bowl favorite at this point. So all things considered, those first three losses, it at least kind of felt like, okay, these were good teams. These are these are teams that, you know, you're not going to beat every single time, and, and maybe maybe we can live with 0-3 in those first three games. And then they, they wrap that up the, the first quarter of the season against Detroit, and they pull off that win. So, I mean, you kind of felt like at 1-3, and three, okay, it was – a little bit of a rough start, but it was a tough start to the season, and, and you weren't going to win four of those games. And hopefully, th- then in the following stretches of the year, where it's supposed to get a little easier on paper, you can start to rack up those wins and, and get the season back on track. But as we'll get to, I'm sure, didn't didn't quite work out that way. Yeah, and and the, the Houston game is, uh, you know, it was on the road. The Texans are notoriously a tough team uh, at home. They win at home a lot more than they do. I think they were like six and two at home uh, this year, or something like that. But um, you know that that one decision in the fourth quarter, um, fourth and one or third and one or whatever it was, or you know the Bears stop Osweiler on his quarterback sneak, but the refs spot him a first down and Fox doesn't challenge it, and then one or two plays later was the go ahead touch. It was fourteen to thirteen at that time. The first, uh, you know, first big mistake of of the year for Fox was not challenging that call because you could see on replays Osweiler did not make it and they screwed up the spot. It would have given the ball to the Bears. I believe it was fourth down. The Bears would have had the football. They have a one point lead. They, the, the ball's in their possession. We're going to go back the other way and see what we can do there. But instead, Fox doesn't challenge it. The Texans keep first down, and then a play or two later, the Texans score to go up twenty to fourteen, and then it was all over from there. That was kind of like. I mean, it's the running theme of the season. As we'll go through the rest of the of the of the of the schedule here, there are, there are going to be at least five games where we're like, "Yep, they should have won this one. Uh, we should have won that one. We should have won this one." And I feel like Houston, uh, you know, granted that the odds were stacked against us, we're on the road. Houston is a playoff team, a def- division winner, but that was the first one this year where I felt like, "Yeah, we probably should have beaten the Texans, and we could have if." Yeah, I agree. I mean. The, the Bears offensive line, and that was one of those games, too, where they just didn't look all that prepared. But even in spite of that, they were still able to have that lead and really go into the fourth quarter with a lead. And I, I haven't gone back and tell you, but I'd, I'd like to check how many games this year the Bears had a fourth quarter lead and blew it. Because I there's got to be at least five of them. And I, I, off the top of my head, Texans, Colts, Jaguars, uh, Ty, uh, no, not Titans. Uh, did they have a lead? I think Green Bay. Or no, they tied Green Bay. But, you know, there's, there's a good handful of games like that where 
they just blow it down the stretch. And I think some of that's a little bit of predictable offense and predictable defense in that too. Cause, and, and I think some of that can also be accredited to injuries because it's harder to be less predictable when you only, when you don't, we can't even predict what guys you're going to have on the field. But at the same time, this is a team that was, was able to pull ahead and have that fourth quarter lead and to see them blow it over and over again. It, it feels like there's something more here that's, that's, that, that deserves some blame. Right. I mean, even in that win against Detroit, 17 to 14 doesn't really show how dominant the Bears actually were in that game. We picked off Stafford twice. The, 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 the Lions could not run the football. That was Jordan Howard's first start of the year, got over 100 yards rushing. The Bears were utterly dominant in that game. And then to give up that punt return at the end to, to make it close or make it scary, at least. Uh, there in in the final uh, stretch there. And then, like you said, Indianapolis, we start the second quarter of the season. We're on the road at Indianapolis. Uh, we have the lead late. And then the one thing that drove me nuts, and you and I talked about this at the midway point as well, was we knew the only tool that Andrew Luck had in his toolbox was T.Y. Hilton, and yet we could not stop that guy we knew that's where luck was going with the football every single time including the game-winning touchdown and yet who's 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 man who's got who's one-on-one uh in the fourth quarter on that game-winning drive for the Colts but T.Y. Hilton for like a 50-yard touchdown pass and then Brian Hoyer all of a sudden gets Alshon Jeffrey blind on the final play of the game who's wide open down the sideline and tries to throw it into triple coverage to Cameron uh, Meredith and the next thing you know the Bears are one and four when they should potentially be three and two at this point yeah I I totally agree especially in that that Colts game I think Uh, you know you get guys like Jacoby Glenn matched up one-on-one with T.Y. Hilton and I mean that guy didn't even finish the season on the roster they they figured out pretty quickly that they didn't want him involved with the young cornerback rotation and it just seemed like there's so many opportunities there where players it, it took this this team too long to evaluate their own players and figure out who they like that's good and who they like that's bad I mean obviously on the offensive side of the ball there was that quote from Dowell Loggins about saying he didn't really think Jordan Howard was all that great in the offseason until he put the pads on, which to me is horrible. I mean, you're, you're his coach. You get to watch him at all times. You should be able to figure out that he's good. And even with him, too, he didn't get to see the field until Jeremy Langford got hurt in week two, uh, week three, I mean, to, so he could start against Detroit. And if Jeremy Langford hadn't gotten hurt, how long would it have taken for us to get Jordan Howard on the field? But even on, on the defensive side of the ball, you know, keeping a guy like Jacoby Glenn out there for a while and then realizing he's not good enough and cut him and like starting the season with Jonathan Anderson in an inside linebacker after, uh, you know, they, they, they rotated him in and then they cut him and signed John Timu again. Like they couldn't figure out which linebacker they liked better. And same thing in the secondary, you know, keep getting guys in there and, and realizing that they're not the, not the right ones until eventually they figure out that hey, this Cravon LeBlanc kid's pretty good, let's start him. And, you know, they're starting – it just seemed to take so long on both sides of the ball for this coaching staff to be able to evaluate and determine which players they think should be on the field, which players are the best to be on the field. And we, we saw that burn them against Indianapolis. We saw it burn them against the Jacksonville Jaguars. They just couldn't – they couldn't seem to get the right combination of people to, to play hard for four quarters. Yeah, I mean, and, and what turned out to be the worst loss of the season, aside from maybe – Tampa Bay I mean Tampa Bay just blew us out and we'll talk about that in a few minutes but with Jacksonville we got a 16 and nothing lead in the fourth quarter and the next thing you know Blake Bortles remembers how to throw a football like an NFL quarterback and the Jacksonville Jaguars come back from out of nowhere and Chicago and end up beating uh, the Bears and uh, a victory that actually ended up working for the Bears as opposed to the Bears being able to jump ahead of Jacksonville for the number three pick in the first round 
for those of you draft Knicks who kept wanting the Bears to lose for draft position. But, um, you know, we lose that game to Jacksonville. Short rest. We go out to Green Bay. It's a battle for three quarters. Then Aaron Rodgers does his thing in the fourth quarter. We lose that one 26-10. And then from out of nowhere, we're going up against the 5-1 and one, a division leading uh, best team in the NFL and the Minnesota Vikings on Monday Night Football after three national TV embarrassments, the Philadelphia, Dallas, and Green Bay. Now we go on national TV against Minnesota, who just come off their first loss to Philadelphia. So I think the Bears are going to get massacred because it's going to be like revenge porn for the Vikings. And yet we go out there and we just lay waste to the Vikings 20-10. to 10 to go into the bye at two and six, but probably in, <laughs> as we Bear fans finally get something to be optimistic about, the best two and six team in the history of the NFL. <laughs> yeah, you know, <clears throat> I remember at the time when after that game, John Fox kind of came to his team and said, "You know what? We're we're two and six now, and we can either finish ten and six or, or two and fourteen. And and man, I thought that was really as a coach you can't go to your team and say, well, we could lose out the rest of our games. I mean, you have to take that, that opportunity from that game and say, you know what? We just beat the best team in the league. Let's use this bye week. Let's kick its ass. And then let's come out against Tampa Bay and you know, rock them and go on a run here. But obviously that was not the case, but, but looking at that Vikings game specifically, that, that seemed like the first game and, and one of the few games this year that they really sat down and committed to the running game and committed to Jordan Howard. I mean, he had 11 carries for 97 yards in, in that first half and a touchdown. And, and that really kind of set the tone. It took the pressure off Jay, who also, I think, brought some energy back in that game, first game back from injury, and threw some really nice passes and played that smart football that we had kind of seen from Adam Gase with him last year. And this was like the first glimpse of that again this year. And, and it really worked for four quarters the way they were able to stick to that running game, get the ball out of Jay's hands quickly, but don't ask him to do too much, and, and really beat what was one of the best defenses in the league at the time. And the most disappointing thing about that game was wasn't just that they they ended up following that up with what was it four three straight losses and then you know obviously now only only winning one more game after that point but it was really that that game was the winning formula it kind of said okay you know what the bears can beat good teams and this is exactly how they should do it and that was like the only time we really saw that until the San Francisco game when it was so snowy that they were kind of forced to stick to that running game and with Matt Barkley under center they didn't want to try and make him do too much and and we saw it work again but it was like okay, entire coaching staff, here you go. This is how you win football games against good teams with this roster. All injuries aside, they they handled the Minnesota Vikings, and then they just came out so flat after the bye week. It seemed like every game from that point was just more and more disappointing because you saw what they were capable of if everything was working right. You're right. The, the second half of the year did kind of have that stink on it because we saw what they could do even against what was a good football team, one of the best in the league at the time that we pull off that victory. Um, you know, we, we did have that conversation like did the bye week come at a bad time. We, you know, is it a good time we can get healthier? We're going to get some guys back when we play against Tampa Bay. Or do you just want to keep playing and carry this momentum into, you know, into the week? And we got our answer. We come back against Tampa Bay and you knew it was bad when Chris Conti runs a pick six back on you. And not only what did he do it, but he made it was a same old Jay throw. Now, I have defended Jay Cutler from that, quote unquote, same old Jay stuff for a while. You know, sometimes it was him trying to make something out of nothing. That same old Jay. Sometimes it was just a great play by the defense or something like that. That was the same old Jay throw that I could not defend no matter how much I tried. And to make it worse, it was Chris Conti that ran it back on us. And I hate 
Chris Conti <laughs> more than any other human being on the planet. I mean, I was uh, you know how the Facebook has the on this day thing. Yeah. I uh, posted on on Facebook, I think on January 4th or something like that, of 2014, just after that loss to Green Bay, about how uh, Randall Cobb, who caught the game-winning touchdown pass against the Bears week 17, said that he looked at the, at the safety who was flat-footed and not even looking at him as he ran right past him for the game-winning touchdown. And I felt the need to post that and call Chris Conte an asshole on Facebook just because I read that, and it made me want to crawl out of my skin. But, I mean, that was the – I mean, it's like the, the highest of the highs had to be the Minnesota game. Um, that was our Green Bay game from 2015. The lowest of the low as far as, like, how we looked, how flat we were, how dominant – how much we were dominated by the opponent had to be the Tampa Bay game just two weeks later. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, you know, the one thing about the Tampa Bay game, I mean, obviously, by the end, yeah, it was incredibly deflating. But even after those, I think it was three turnovers in the first half for Jay. I think it was a fumble and two interceptions. One was the pick six. You know, at the end of the half, they throw that Hail Mary. Cameron Meredith catches it. The Bears were only down seven at halftime to the Buccaneers in that game. I mean, they, they I mean, maybe maybe that wasn't enough to, to completely swing any momentum or anything. But you, you go in halftime down seven, you can you can kind of go in and say, okay, this is still a manageable game. Somehow, some way, it's a one-score game after three turnovers. So if we can just hold on to the ball in the second half and kind of keep playing our football, maybe just maybe we can get back in this thing. But instead, the defense comes out extremely flat and lets Jameis Winston torch him for a couple of deep plays on the first, I think it was the first series that he came out. And there was a couple, I think, 35, 40-plus yard completions back-to-back. And and the, the second one was a touchdown. And, and all of a sudden, it's the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers start to pull away. The Bears offense comes out a little bit flat from there, and Buccaneers score again. And it just kind of seemed like the Bears didn't have any energy coming out of halftime, even though that Hail Mary should have been a, a big point of energy for them to at least, you know, no no one necessarily wants or is going to expect them to come out and pull off this big upset maybe, but at least stay in it. But instead, by the end of the third quarter, the Bears are down by like 17, 19, something like that. I think the Buccaneers scored a couple times in that, and I think – one of them might have been – I think that – was there a safety in that game, I think? There was a, a fumble in the end zone, I think. I don't know if – it wasn't a, a holding penalty in the end zone. So I don't – it doesn't matter. <laughs> Something I mean, like there, that. There was, a, there was a screwy safety that I was just like, you know, why not at this point? Yeah. Just why not? Because it's 34 to 10 and might as well just tack on a couple more. Um, you know, so that was an embarrassing loss where everyone was just like, where the hell did that team go? Yep. You know, it's like two weeks ago, we were ragdolling the Minnesota Vikings on national television. Two weeks later, it's two and six versus three and five. And the Buccaneers might have been nine and oh at that point, the way that we yeah. looked against them. I mean, it was ridiculous how bad, especially in the second half, uh, we looked. And then a week later on the road at the Giants, we give them all they can handle. And then we lose Jay for the season, even though he played through the, the shoulder injury there in the second half. Um, then a week later, Barkley starts his first game. Probably, I mean, I mean, I use the word disappointing a lot, but that one was probably the one that got away from us. That was mm-hmm. the most disappointing. Um, I mean, it just, I mean, the, the one thing, if if the injuries exposed nothing else, it exposed how 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 the, how how much the Bears lack depth on the roster because Josh Bellamy was the guilty party in that one. Deontay Thompson dropped the pass on fourth down in the end zone. So we had two touchdowns that were dropped there in a the moment by two guys who had no business being on the field at that point in that critical point in the football game. Yeah, you know, I always come back to that because I mean, you have to think 
they could find other receivers. And I know they had Daniel Braverman on the roster, and maybe he wasn't ready to play as big of a role as Josh Bellamy and Deontay Thompson were at that point. But it just kind of seemed like with you know, with Alshon Jeffrey in and out of the lineup and, and once he was suspended, and then obviously Kevin White on injured reserve, the Bears made almost no effort to go out and add somebody else. I mean, they eventually brought up Braverman from the practice squad, but you didn't see them really go and try and get you know somebody, some other young receiver off the street or just some – some other name, someone that can catch the ball, because you you would think that they know what they have with Josh Bellamy and Deontay Thompson, and then especially after they drop those touchdown passes, you have to make some kind of change at the receiver position. You have to at least show the guys that, hey, we're trying something different. We're trying to, you know, hey, Matt, yeah, I know these guys are dropping the ball, so here's what we're going to do differently next game. And it just seemed like they kind of said, well, drops happen, and and, and we're just going to have to live with it instead of trying to do something to make it better because obviously it wasn't just a, a one-game anomaly. Like we saw Jordan Howard had a game, I think it was the Giants game, he dropped like five passes and, and you know, you can live with that because it was one game and I don't think he dropped another one all year. It might have been one more, but, I, you know, you could tell that that was kind of just Jordan Howard was having a bad game and that was going to happen. But with Josh Bellamy and, and even sometimes with Deontay Thompson, it was consistently an issue. Catching the ball was an issue and when they're on the field that much, that is their job. I don't care what they do on special teams you have to find guys that can catch the ball consistently. And it, they just never really seemed to make an effort to go out and get other guys that could catch the ball consistently. And we saw that kind of come back a couple times later in the season where guys are dropping passes and it's not allowing Matt Barkley to get into a rhythm and, and get the offense moving downfield. And on top of that, they're not running the ball enough consistently with Jordan Howard to take some of that pressure off Bar- Barkley and the receivers to have to catch these passes to keep the offense going. I mean, if there was one thing that drove me nuts more than anything – you know, if you had a chance to listen to the show throughout the season, was that the stat that I repeated over and over again was that any time that Jordan Howard has carried the ball 20 times or more, the Bears have won the football game. And consistently, granted the guy's getting his 100 yards, but he only ran, for, I mean, including the game against Minnesota, because they eventually made a liar out of me in the 17th game uh, in week 17, because I think he ran the ball 23 times against the, the Vikings, and we ended up losing that by a mile. But... Every other time in the season where the Bears have run the ball 20 times to Jordan Howard, we won uh, the football game. We were, when we committed to the run, we stayed with the run. The Bears were able to grind out the wins, number one, because in the fourth quarter, our defense wasn't so worn down to the nub that they couldn't stop the opposing offenses from taking the lead away from us. Yeah, you know, I hate when, when every time John Fox is asked about that, he's always, he always says, well, you know, uh, it comes down to you know, situational football and you know, a lot of those games where we ran 20 times or more is because we had the lead, and, and so that's why we wanted to run the ball. And, I mean, that is true. You do run the ball more when you're winning, but he, he makes it seem like it's it's a bad idea to run the ball when you're losing. And then, obviously, when you're down 21, you know, you, you got to throw some passes to get involved in the game. But it seemed like too often this year, you know, the Bears would be tied and then get down a touchdown or whatever, or even 10 points. And then it's like, well, Jordan Howard goes out the door. Let's throw five times in a row with Matt Barkley. And it it kind of seemed like you can't you can't blame – Matt Barkley for playing poorly and then also blame the score for not running the ball. And and, and it just kind of seemed like you can't – you're playing both sides of the coin there when running the ball would help make your offense do better because we've seen that he can consistently get five yards of carry, but then you don't do that and it makes the offense worse. And then you say, well, we couldn't run the ball because we, you know, we weren't scoring enough points. Well, if you had run the ball – you would have had the you would have had more possession. You would have given your defense more time to rest, and you would have been able to score more points. I mean, maybe maybe it doesn't necessarily it, it directly equate to touchdowns, but it just it's about taking control back in the game. And I I wish I had the number of three and outs the Bears had this season because it seemed like 
there were so many of those where they just come out, they run on first down in the drive and then throw, throw, and, and they're incomplete. And even on those third and short situations, they just didn't seem to want to go to their workhorse running back. And you have to wonder how much, how many more rushing yards he could have gotten had he had all the, all the carries that a guy like Ezekiel Elliott had this year. I mean, if, if Howard had started from week one and, and consistently gotten 20 carries a game, I, I really think he would be near the top, if not the top, of the rookie of the year race at this point. I, I, I agree with that. And, um, you know, here's a stat that's worth looking into. How many two-minute or less drives did the Bears have because of that run on first down, throw on second and third down, no matter what drives that they had? Uh, this year, I mean, because I can't tell you how many times in in one of my knee jerk reaction segments, where I'm you know kind of recording it as we're going through the game here, where it was like, oh yeah, the Bears gave up a seven and a half minute drive that resulted in a touchdown or a field goal or whatever, got the ball back themselves. Three plays later, we're handing it back over to the Giants or to the Redskins or or whatever. How many times did the Bears have a drive that was two two and a half minutes or less? because they refuse to do anything as far as like trying to get the ball going with with uh, with Jordan Howard. So I mean that's that's something that I would like to and know. I can I can actually uh hint or I guess clue, clue into that a little bit. Um according to Pro Football Reference, uh the Bears ranked 21st in time length of drives, but they gave up the second longest drives on defense. So yeah, that I mean it, it it adds up. Yeah, for sure. So then, you know, we get that win over San Francisco, which was like shooting fish in a barrel. If we don't win that game, we have no business showing up for the last four. I mean, this, I mean, if there were the bear, the Bears were not a good football team, but San Francisco uh, was quite possibly the worst. I mean, even the Browns, who only won one football game, played their opponents a hell of a lot tougher than San Francisco did throughout mm-hmm. the course of the season. They just happened to run into the Rams, who apparently they just have. Los Angeles' number because they they ransacked the Rams twice this year. I couldn't believe (laughs) that. But uh, then we enter the fourth quarter, and that loss to Detroit on the road that at at the very least should have been an overtime game. Win or lose, it should have gone to overtime. Then the Green Bay game, and this is the one that drove me half out of my mind because of the last minute of the football game where, uh, you know, the Bears are are making this great comeback in the fourth quarter when it looked like it was all over with. They make this great comeback. Barkley's throwing like a machine. Alshon Jeffrey makes an appearance in the game and starts catching some passes. We get down to the inside the, what, 10-yard line with a couple minutes to go uh, in the game. It's 27-24. to Green Bay is ahead. And instead of going for it on fourth down to try to win the football game, they kick the field goal and give the ball back to Aaron Rodgers, who, of course, throws that in ridiculous pass to Jordy Nelson to set up the field goal to win the game. Now, what drove me nuts about that was that it, it said to me what I've been saying over and over again is that for whatever reason, John Fox is not in the business of playing to win. He's always playing not to lose. And in that moment, it bit him in the ass more than it had probably all season long was that he had a chance to play to win. Now, granted, if he gets it wrong, he made the wrong decision, blah, 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 and so on and so forth. I would have commended him for it because he's trying to win the football game. He's at home. We're trying to beat the Packers, so on and so forth. I mean, a a one loss would have killed Green Bay's playoff chances. They wouldn't be headed to Dallas this Sunday. They'd be at home watching the playoffs if we win that game then. Mm -hmm. But instead, we, we, we go for the tie. We play not to lose. We give the ball back to Green Bay. They play to win because they could have just kneeled on the football. They could have just kneeled on it. We take it to overtime. We see what happens there. No, they go for it. They get the field goal. They win, and I'm pulling hair out of my head. 
Yeah, you know, and part of that, too, the playing to win versus playing to tie, it's almost like John Fox changed his mind on that mid-game. Because, I mean, totally agree, you got to go for it in that situation. Really, the play before and third and four, you'd be tempted to hand it off one more time, see if you can get just a little bit closer to the goal line, and that, that opens you up a little bit more for that fourth down, you know, a little bit closer to the goal line. But then, okay, you, you admit at that point, okay, we're playing to tie. We kick the field, okay. At least then stick to that, because you get to that Packers drive and that second play, the Packers were out of timeouts, but they had an injured player, and the, you know it would have been a 10-second runoff. And the Bears decided not to take that runoff because it was going to be third and 11, and they thought, oh, we could get the ball back and then maybe try and win the game. So at that point, you have now switched to playing to win the game because you want more time on the clock for your team. You're assuming you're going to get the ball off and have a chance to win. But if you're playing to tie, you take that 10-second runoff and you just say, okay, you know, we're going to be happy taking this Green Bay team to overtime and you know, being able to push, push the reset button a little bit and start over and, and kind of play our football from a kickoff standpoint and do you know the full overtime. But instead, he gets a little bit aggressive again, sort of, and, and says, you know what, keep the 10 seconds on the clock. Next play is the 60-yard throw to Jordy Nelson, and the rest is history. The Bears lose again and kind of just fits with the rest of the season. You, you kind of have to stick to either playing for the win or playing for the tie. And with that field goal, he said, "I'm going to play for the tie," and then with the, with the with the choosing not to run off, he's trying to say, "I'm going to play for the win," and and obviously it didn't work. Yeah, uh, I mean, it just that one really that one really that one really pissed me off. You know, that one was just like you know, that's the difference. My McCarthy was playing to win, uh, Fox was playing not to lose, or playing for the tie, or playing for overtime, or 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 whatever. And it just like I mean, we saw which one of those philosophies came out on top. Uh, that time because the Bears were going, you know, shot for shot there in the fourth quarter. They came back from 17 down to tie that thing up, man. And it was just, it was a beautiful thing uh, to watch. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's like all of a sudden Fox forgot what they were doing and just decided to pump the brakes on, on being aggressive and trying to win. Uh, I mean, we're three and nine at that point. What, what the hell do we have? Three and 10. What the hell do we have to lose? We've already, we're not going anywhere. The season is over with. We win this football game. Let's ruin, let's ruin Green Bay's chances to make the playoffs. They absolutely would not be in the playoffs if they lost that game. Yeah, that has to be the mentality as a coach, especially if you're a guy that says, you know what, I'm gonna, who believes he's gonna be back next year and he's gonna take this team to bigger and better things next year. It's like, okay, guys, we we don't have anything to play for, so let's go out there and let's just give every opportunity to win the game. There's no, you know, no tying. It's just we are gonna at least show that we have fight. You know, we've had a lot of things go wrong this year, but let's. Let's just go win this football game. Let's keep our division rival out. Let's, you know, you, you got to motivate guys by doing that. And it just, the decision to, to go for the tie, that's that's got to be deflating, you know, especially for some of those guys on the sideline. It's like, okay, you know, we drove all the way down. We made this comeback. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Okay, we're kicking the field goal. You know, Matt Barkley's got to feel a little bit like, uh, I guess, you know. He's like, got to be thinking, let's finish it. Yeah. Let's finish it. We were down 17. Nobody gave us a chance to be in this, in this position. Let's go out and finish it. If we lose, we lose. We've lost 10 times already this year. What the hell's another loss going to be? But let's go out there and show our fans and our fan base and anybody out there knowing that the Bears are going to fight until the very end. And that didn't show fight. That showed, you know, reservation. And, and that, that's what drove me nuts about it. Absolutely. You have to stick to that message. You know, you have to show this team that – even you know, no matter what you want to say for the, for the reasons why you're three and ten at that time, you have to show that we are still going to fight. We are still going to be a, a proud football team that has something to play for, and and we're going to show this green. We're going to show Green Bay and the rest of the league that hey, you know, even though we lost ten games this year, we are still a decent football team, and we're going to be back next year and and come out even stronger. And obviously, they didn't show that as the rest of the season played out. 
you know, with bad losses to Washington and Minnesota after that. Yeah, combined 79 to 31, the final score of those two games. Yikes. I mean, you know, and, and honestly, the, the score wasn't that close. The games weren't that close. I mean, uh, you know, Minnesota pretty much took it to us from the very from the outset. And every, every, and here's what drove me nuts about Minnesota was that at the end, I'm looking at the stats and Minnesota only had about a 30 to 40 yard advantage in total yardage. Time of possession was pretty much split straight down the middle. Uh, I think uh, Minnesota had like a 21 to 19 first down advantage on the Bears, but the score was 38 to 10. And why? Because we turned the ball over five times in the first game. Zero turnovers, uh, you know, from the Bears. Almost no penalties. I think there were only three in the whole game between the two teams. But in Week 17 against Minnesota, five turnovers, more penalties than you can shake a stick at, and we lose by 28 points to finish out this horrible year. It just seemed like guys weren't playing hard and, and weren't even prepared. I mean, they just came out so flat. I mean, Barkley wasn't on the same page as his receivers. And even Jordan Howard, I don't think, was having – a, you know a ton of luck early on in that game at least getting you know breaking off the big runs that he had been in the past he was getting uh, you know those two and three yard gains and you know once the turnovers and the, and the penalties started you could really kind of feel like wow this you could feel you could feel him give up a little bit because both sides of the ball were sloppy and and it just kind of seemed like they didn't have any interest in, in trying to pull off a comeback or trying to win I mean you could see guys like Barkley and Howard trying to get some energy going trying to get the offense going but they couldn't get that consistent effort across the board from all 11 guys on either side of the ball. And the Vikings obviously were. They were still trying to fight and still trying to say that, you know, they, they belong in this mess. And then even though that they, they've had their injuries of their own, they're on their number two quarterback. They've had like five different offensive tackles this year. And even their their strong defense has gone through some different players on different, you know, different levels of that defense because of injuries. They're still fighting hard. They're still trying to get, you know, six wins this season and, and trying to say that they still belong and that they can still fight. And, it was really a, a stark difference between two teams that didn't have a lot to ask to actually play for, but but certainly came out playing like, you know, the Vikings came out playing like a team that was playing for something, and the Bears certainly weren't. Yeah, the Vikings wanted to make the 500, you know, for the season. They finished eight and eight with the victory over the Bears, and you know, even when I was doing my preview episode, I'm like, you know. We can finish our first sweep over Minnesota since 2011. That's something to play for. Uh, how about finishing 500 in the division? We would have been 3-3 three and three with a victory over Minnesota. And we would have not been winless on the road for the first time in franchise history if we win this game. But instead, we lose it and negate all of that. We don't get the sweep Minnesota. We finish 2-4 and four in the division, only one game better than we were a year ago. And... We're 0-8 for the first time on the road in the history of the franchise. So, I mean, it just all just kind of like a fitting end to what, you know, to a season, you know, where, the, where it was like nothing but disappointment. And, you know, how much of the – because I remember seeing on Twitter you were going to be on the road during the final press conference. Did you get to see or hear much of it? Oh, oh yeah, I went back and watched it a couple times, actually. Yeah, so, I mean, as, as much as uh, – I mean, I, I give Pace and Fox credit for not trying to blame it on the injuries – uh, but they still tallied almost 30 times mentioning mentioning the word injury in one form or another. Whether it was injury, injuries, injured, whatever it was. It was only 30 times I think the tally was from Brad Biggs at the Sun Times saying that's you know what they what they talked about in one place uh, or another. But as we talked about a few moments ago, you know yeah injuries are part of the NFL and yes the Bears were ravaged by I mean 19 players on injured reserve, nearly 70 million dollars of our salary cap watching from the sidelines basically but as we talked about a few minutes ago um 
all the injuries did was expose the lack of depth that the Bears had, that basically that falls on the general manager where we weren't as prepared for these injuries as we should have been. Yeah, you know, I, I, I look at this season and it really feels like there are about seven games this year that I'm, I'm – seven of the 13 losses that I'm willing to sit there and chalk up as, okay, you know, the Bears just weren't talented enough. I think, you know, you look at the, the first three games of the season, you know, injuries weren't necessarily a huge – a huge factor at that point, although the third one was Jay Cutler went down. You could you could make the argument there. I'm I'm willing to chalk those three up to that, and then even you know throw in the Tampa Bay game and the the first Green Bay loss, and and you you know that those are all games that I feel like, and then of course the last two, sorry, the Washington and the the, the Minnesota game, those were all games that okay, I'm willing to kind of chalk up to not being good enough, kind of having injuries at the end of the season and and being a little bit out talented, but. There's still those six losses to me: the Colts, Jaguars, Titans, Giants, Lions, and Packers. The second time that the Bears were in position to win or send it into overtime, and they they blew it in all those games. Like I feel like, be you know, as injured as they were, the injuries did not stop them from getting ahead in those games and, and bringing fourth quarter leads in a lot of them. Obviously, not the Titans game. I don't think the Packers game, but in, injuries still were able to put them in position where they could tie or or win those games in the fourth quarter. So I feel like I can't. I can't sit here and say, "Oh, well, they were too injured to win because they weren't. They were. They weren't too injured to get that lead. They were just, they were just unable to finish those games. And it felt to me like, if, you know, case by case in those games, you know, whether it wasn't covering a guy like T.Y. Hilton well enough against the Colts, or whether it was abandoning the running game in the third and fourth quarter against the Jaguars, or whether it was having receivers out there that couldn't catch the ball in the Tennessee Titans game, where it's just this team not assessing their own personnel very well and not getting guys on the field that they can give them the best chance to win when it came in those those you know those clutch situations even against Green Bay you know they they pull that comeback and then you know against they get down to the goal line and they they don't get the ball in the end zone they don't run the ball enough there they kick the field goal and then you know like the Packers game they didn't lose that because of injuries they lost that because of coaching decisions and you know decisions made by John Fox on, on both sides of the ball and it just seems like those six games to me point to issues that are bigger than just injuries and I, I feel like with the way that Ryan Pace and John Fox talked at the press conference I worry that they're going to do a good enough job of sort of looking internally at the things that they can fix I mean they, they said they're not going to blame injuries that was the first thing that Ryan Pace said we're not going to hide behind our injuries and inexperience but like you said they come out they, he kept saying uh we didn't have guys that were consistently available at that position we didn't have that we weren't able to get continuity at that position which is just another way of saying we were too injured and I I, I just don't feel like injuries are enough of an excuse to cover three and 13. I mean, if this team was six and 10 or seven and nine or even five and 11, I could sit here and okay, they were injured for a lot of games, but at least they showed heart and they were able to pull off a couple of late victories in some of those games that they were close in. And you could feel a little bit more confident about the way this regime is able to evaluate their own roster and, and handle putting players in the right position to be successful. But there were just so many times this season where it felt like they were in position and then they had players playing well enough to win games, but there were other things that, that weren't injuries that were keeping them from from getting that success. And it came down to a lot of coaching decisions, a lot of personnel decisions, and some play-calling decisions. And I think that's where the Bears need to look. I mean, not only do they need to look at, at ways to get less injured, because th that's got to be an issue too, but they have to look at their own coaching staff and say, okay, this is what we need to do better. And I was disappointed that at that press conference, they didn't come out and say, you know, we needed to run the ball more. We needed to find our consistent rotations. We needed to mix up our play calling a little bit. We needed to do this, this, and this. Instead, they kind of just said, well, we didn't have available players at all our positions. And that was kind of the big issue. I, I, I thought they needed to be a little bit more accountable and, and show a little bit more, uh, I guess, self-awareness about other things that had gone wrong with their football team. 
No, I, I definitely agree. I, I agree with you that I wasn't hearing as much accountability as I would have liked to hear, especially on the coaching end. And I, and it's just one of those things, especially as the season was coming to a close, there was a lot of talk about, you know, will John Fox come back? Will he not? Uh, you know, especially when that whole uh, Fangio business started up, you know, and then it kind of became an issue of like, if you had to choose between the two, do we keep Fox or Fangio? And I, I would have fallen on the Fangio side because that's the one thing that's that's been consistently decent was the defense or uh, competitive or, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, the growth is, has been there um, on, on the defensive side. On the offense, it's just, you know, and also disappointed that we, we brought Dole Loggins. Uh, back uh, as well, especially with Mike McCoy, a former offensive coordinator of John Fox's, out there available after being let go uh, by the uh, by the Chargers. So I mean, it just you know, what do you think? Should we have brought in uh, Fox back? Should he be on the unemployment line? You know, what what do you think? Uh, you know, did the Bears make the right move here? Yeah, I was a big I was a big proponent of moving on from John Fox. It just feels like. <laughs> You're not. There's nothing that they, he has shown to me that says, "Okay, we're going to be better next year." I mean, there weren't a lot of opportunities this year where you thought, "Wow, you know, this player is really being coached up, and, and these guys are really being put in the best position to be successful." It was kind of just like, "Well, they weren't," and, and some people were willing to just say, "Well, they're injured, so that's not a big deal." But to me, when when your back is against the wall and, and nothing seems to be going for you, that should be when you should scrutinize a coach the most because I feel like you can find coaches that can win with a decent roster. I mean, you can, you know, you put John Fox on that Denver Broncos team and with the league's best defense and Peyton Manning ended up coming over. And, and so they, they were a very, very talented football team. And what do you know, he gets them to the playoffs, but I want the coach that can take his third string quarterback and, and win against Tennessee and not have those drop passes. In the end. They'll take his third string quarterback and finish that game against green Bay, you know, take, you know, a secondary that cannot seem to find a starter and still, you know, hold a team like the New York giants to 22 points, hold, the Minnesota Vikings to 10 points in week eight. You know, we need to see th those reasons to be encouraged with this coaching staff. And it just, I didn't see him all year. I think Vic Fangio was the only one that, that did a decent job with, with what he had been given because offensively we didn't see that growth from week to week. We didn't see any reason that, that and anything that showed that they were learning from their own mistakes. And that to me falls directly back on John Fox. And I was surprised a little bit that Ryan Pace didn't necessarily pull the trigger to make that move. Because it just feels like you're sort of accepting that next season might be a little bit of a disappointment, especially with you, when you're bringing Dowell Loggins back, who who really seemed to be the biggest issue of, of the three. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, and, and I was just about to, to jump in there. And, you know, Fangio and Loggins both had one thing in common. Both their units were ravaged by injuries. But Fangio had the more consistent unit, even though, you know, he I think he had the bigger losses. Eddie Goldman uh, was, wasn't there. Pernell McPhee in and out of the lineup. Leonard Floyd almost concussed himself out of the NFL, uh, you know, and, and all the problems that he had in, in the secondary. He had the weaker of the two units, especially on the talent side of things, but his was the unit that was more reliable. Yeah, you know, all things considered, I mean, Dowell Loggins, even, even when Jay and Brian Hoyer were hurt and Jeremy Langford was hurt and Kevin White was out and now Sean Jeffrey was suspended, you know, you still had guys. I mean, Matt Barkley was throwing touchdown passes. He was looking like, you know, for the first few games, like a quarterback that – might be able to at least compete for a starting job in the future. And obviously that changed down the stretch. But, you know, it's hard for me to sit here and say, well, Dowell Loggins didn't have a very, very uh, stocked cupboard when he had a running back averaging five yards a carry and a quarterback who was, was really delivering some nice balls, but they just couldn't get their other players in position to be successful around them. They couldn't seem to 
a find receivers that can catch the ball and and b mix up route concepts enough. It seemed like especially in those games down the, you know at the end of the season with the turnovers, the, the Bears offense was getting more and more predictable. You could kind of feel like okay, Cameron Meredith is generally going to go here, and when Alshon Jeffries back, he's going to be running you know mostly just deep routes, you know post routes and corners and 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 deep goes. And as Matt Barkley got less and less on page with the rest of the players around him, it just kind of seemed like he wasn't being coached in the right way to be on the same page with everyone and know what all 11 players on his offense were going to be doing and, and sort of have that preparedness to know what the defense is going to try to do to you and what you're going to do to beat them. And that that's just, you can't have that as an offensive coordinator. And especially the the thing about Jordan Howard, I can't, I can't shake that from my mind that he didn't think Jordan Howard was a good or didn't think he was very good in the off season. And only until he got the pads on was when he started to see that because if Jeremy Langford doesn't get hurt against Dallas, I mean, when do we see this rookie of the year candidate? We, I mean, it, it just blows my mind that that you couldn't see. You know, it's, it's one thing for us as as outside observers that you know we didn't really get to see much of Jordan Howard. We saw a few snaps in the preseason, but you're his offensive coordinator. I mean, that's a fireable quote right there that you can't evaluate your your best player on the offense. I mean, it's Jordan, Jordan Howard was the Bears' best player on offense this year, and you didn't think he was very good until you got the pads on. I mean, even if that's true, don't say it. You know, don't tell everybody that, that you, you missed on that. But, I mean, that's just you, – you can't have that as your offensive coordinator in the NFL. No, I agree. It, it very much reminds me of uh, in 2014 when loss after loss after loss, uh, Mark Treston would come out and say – we had a good week of practice. I don't know what happened. We had a good week of practice. I don't know what happened. It's like, well, did we really have a good week of practice? Or are you just saying that we did? Or, you know, somebody told you that we did when you weren't looking or, or something <laughs> like that. I mean, it just looks like you have no clue what's going on with this team. If you thought you had a good week of practice and then they played like they didn't practice at all. You know, and it just uh, I, I totally agree with you. And it also, you know, caused me to have issue with the with the CBA and how little contact is allowed these days and and so mm-hmm. on and so forth. Also, with how blind Loggins could have been, because if there was a bright spot in the preseason while the team was circling the bowl before the year even started, it was Jordan Howard. I mean, he <laughs> ran the ball really, really well, especially in that fourth game against Cleveland is like, man, this kid's really got something. I mean, granted, he's playing against guys who aren't going to be playing much this year, if at all. But, I mean, this is a man amongst boys out here that we're seeing in, with Jordan Howard in that game against Cleveland in the preseason. And even with even with Howard, I mean, the, the line from Loggins was that he couldn't – he needed to see him with the pads on first. But for me, what, what makes Jordan Howard good is what he does before contact. And what makes him great is what he does after contact. I mean, he does such a good yeah. job on the Bears' zone runs of – reading the blocks and setting them up and then just having the right timing to be able to slip through before it closes. And then, you know, once he meets a defender, he can, he can power through them and break it off for 12 yards or whatever. But I think what makes him so what makes him good is that ability to just read the blocks and you don't need pads on to be able to read the blocks. That's the kind of thing that he should be able to do in OTAs when you're just doing the walkthrough, you should be able to see the way a guy feels that maybe he was still inexperienced and wasn't doing it quite at the same level he is now, but you have to feel like, an offensive coordinator, an NFL offensive coordinator who had to have been involved in scouting Jordan Howard and, and drafting Jordan Howard. They're not just going to make that decision without Dowell Loggins. He has to be able to identify the talent on his own football team, let alone identify prospects that he thinks are good or identify free agents that he thinks is good. But you have this guy in the building. I mean, there's no excuse. There's absolutely no excuse. And it makes you wonder who else on this roster maybe is good that we haven't seen, that they have seen, and they don't realize he's good because they're not giving him an opportunity to play. I mean, a guy like Braverman, we, we finally got to see him a little bit. But even at, 
at other positions. You know, a guy like Eric Cush, I thought looked really good when he got the opportunity. And a guy like Ben Broniker, I thought showed a lot of things to be excited about, even though he didn't seem to get a lot of opportunities, and even on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, we never saw DeAndre Houston Carson, you know, I wonder what he could do as far as the young defensive backs that they, they couldn't seem to find the guys they liked. So why not give him a chance to, I mean, just across the board, young players not getting the same opportunities in, in a lost season, you would really like to see if they have another, maybe not Jordan Howard level player on this team that's not getting opportunities, but you know these other young guys, there's got to be something to be encouraged about with them, and and we'd like to see, would have liked to see what they could have done. So moving forward, free agency just around the corner. It'll be here before uh, you know it. Um, I would definitely hope that um, with our uh, available cap space and what it could be after we make some cuts. You know, possibly letting go of Jay Cutler. Lamar Houston is definitely on that list. Uh, Eddie Royal, I don't think he should be brought back. Cause, you know, he was good this year when he was healthy, but he wasn't healthy the majority uh, of the season and, and everything. So, I mean, it could be as much, if we make, an, if we make the cuts that, that people are suggesting, could be as much as $70 million uh, in cap space this year. And the one thing that I did like um, – pace talking about in that press conference was being aggressive you know in 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 free agency where that where the help is definitely needed and i'm hoping that he was most specifically talking about the secondary because i think the bears i mean granted they should draft a couple but i think the bears don't need to be in the business of putting their future in the secondary in the draft okay we've been watching jerry angelo from like 2001 fail miserably at that i mean he drafted at least one or two defensive backs in every single draft and it's just in one guy in this year and out the next i think we need to go out there spend the money bring somebody proven in and this is a good year for it the number one on my list would have to be eric barrett yeah you know, I, I have a feeling Pace is going to handle this position this offseason the same way he handled inside linebacker last year. You know, go out, start up free agency, get two of the best guys out there, and then go to the draft and get another one. You know, just overload the position with top talent that you identify. And definitely Eric Berry has to be near the top of that list. You know, he is a, a bona fide ball hawk NFL Pro Bowl level safety in this league. And, you know, I think he would be worth pretty much every penny as long as you're 100% sure about that medical eval, you know, if there's anything else lingering too. But one of the things that bothers me a little bit and has stuck with me since last offseason, uh, we talked to Demontre Hurst on our podcast last offseason who played at Oklahoma with uh, Arizona Cardinals safety Tony Jefferson. And we asked him, you know, at the time Jefferson was a free agent. We said, you know, have you, have you tried recruiting anybody the way that Kyle Long is? And he said, yeah, actually, Tony Jefferson reached out to me and said he was interested in joining the Bears and was asking me about Vic Fangio and had Donatel and our players. And the Bears never – he told us the Bears never gave him an offer and never never reached out to try and sign Tony Jefferson. And obviously he ended up as one of the best safeties in the league for the Arizona Cardinals this year and, and looking like he's going to cash in big time next year on the open market. And certainly I think he might be interested in coming again still if they, if they want him. But it, it bugs me a little bit that they had the opportunity to sign this guy at, at a much, much lower price than he's going to get now. And he proved to be – one of the best safeties in the league this year. But, you know, a couple other guys, uh, you know, A.J. Bouye was getting a lot of talk in the Texans game yesterday as a corner that's going to make a lot of money this year. And I'm, I'm a little bit hesitant about him only because he's playing with probably the best front seven in the NFL or, or you know, and this is the Texans were one of the best defenses. And it's easier to be more aggressive as a corner and and play a little bit more free when you know you have such a dominant pass rush and run defense with those guys up there. And so I worry about him leaving that and coming to the Bears and maybe or coming to any other team really and, and feeling a little bit of 
of a drop off there as he tries to get a little aggressive. But you know, there are other cornerbacks out there that you know you at least want to kick the tires on. I mean, somebody like uh, Morris Claiborne was such a high pick for the Cowboys, and he hasn't really panned out there. But he would be interesting to to maybe bring in as a as a rotational guy. But you know, I, I feel like the draft is going to be where the cornerback position is a little bit stronger, and 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 there's going to be some strong safeties in the draft too. Don't don't get me wrong, but free agency wise. I think safety is where you're going to see more of the investment. And I think you're going to see him go a little bit more heavy in the draft for cornerbacks because there aren't a lot of number one shutdown cornerbacks that just hit the open market. And, you know, I think he's going to sign somebody, but he's not going to necessarily go out and get a Drell Freeman and a Danny Trevathan at that position. I think we'll see like one one big cornerback signing and then uh, maybe one or two safeties brought in. No, I definitely uh, appreciate that that approach. Um uh, what do you think about Gavin Escobar, the tight end from Dallas? He's going to be a free agent. We definitely need depth there. I mean, Zach Miller will be back. He's got one more year left on his deal. Um, he should be back and healthy by the time the season starts with that foot injury, you know. But we need somebody that, uh, you know, like a, I, I've seen Gavin Escobar play. He's made some plays for the Cowboys, but uh, he's been playing behind Witten, the same thing that Martellus Bennett did for several years down there at Dallas what do you think about a guy like him or any other tight end on the free agent market that would definitely help the Bears with depth in that tight end spot yeah you know I I like Gavin Escobar a lot coming out of the draft but he really hasn't had a lot of opportunity in Dallas I think he played let's see 162 snaps this year which really it wasn't a very many until the second half of the season and I don't think he even caught very many passes but I I like his athletic traits a lot I think he still needs work as a blocker and and to me, he's not going to be a guy that you can go out and say, here's my solution at tight end. But certainly he could be a number two for a guy like Zach Miller. But I do I do get concerned with, with Miller's availability, even long term, week to week. I don't know if you can necessarily count on him. And I know Bears fans out there are going to see Martellus Bennett as a free agent again and, and maybe maybe be interested in him. But I'm a big fan of Anthony Fasano from the Tennessee Titans. He's yeah. a really good all-around guy. I mean, he ended up kind of being their number three, but they used so many tight ends there that he got a lot of playing time. And he's a really good blocker. He's a decent receiver. He can kind of do it all. He's not he's not an elite receiver. He's not a game changer at that position. And he's a little bit older. I think he's 33, but he's a guy I would definitely take a look at. And even Jacob Tammy from Atlanta, I know he's getting a little bit older too, but I think he can still be a good receiver. And, and you know, I've, I've heard there's not a lot at the tight end position in this draft, especially, you know, when Jake Butt tore his ACL, that's going to drop him a little bit too. And hilarious name, uh, you know, on top of that. But, you know, I, there's not – there's never – it doesn't seem like there's ever great tight ends that are available, kind of like with the safety in the cornerback position. You know, teams don't let the great ones go unless they have a lot of issues there. So, I, I, you know, you're probably going to have to look at Zach Miller being your number one tight end at least for this year and, and try and get some younger guys with him and maybe go get an older veteran like Tammy or Fasano to pair with them and kind of make a, a trio that at least gives you a little bit more promise than last year where it seemed like – Pace was pretty con- content just throwing bodies at the position and not really getting any big names and hoping that somebody steps up as that number two until he got Logan Paulson. And then uh, Logan Paulson was not good at all, and, and Ben Broniker never really got an opportunity. And it kind of just seemed like it was Zach Miller or bust by the time that season got going, and, and you need to do more next year. Absolutely. And then just in the wide receiver spot, because obviously we have trouble there. We have depth there, depth problems there we may or may not bring Alshon Jeffrey. That's going to be the big offseason question about what the Bears should do 
there. Um, two names that interested me, and I don't know how available or how much we would want to go get them, but uh, Terrell Pryor and Ted Ginn. Ted Ginn more for his return abilities because the Bears mm-hmm. need a fire plug at that position. They just, I mean, I, I was watching some highlights from Devin Hester, uh, you know, after the, the Seahawks signed him. Somebody posted a video of all of his returns. Uh, you know, on on Facebook or something like that, and watching that and watching missing what that excitement when we when we're back for a punt return or or a kick return, having a guy like Ted Ginn would would ignite the the special teams uh, unit. Since I don't think there are any Tyree kills in this year's draft or anything like that, but maybe a guy like Terrell Pryor, who's more like a utility guy than more than a wide receiver, he can do a lot of things. It would be like having a, you know, I guess a uh, maybe the the maybe not the best term, but a better version of Cameron Meredith out there, a guy who used to be a quarterback who, you know, who can, uh, you know, open up some things, maybe be like an Antoine Randall L kind of guy. And, you know, we, we hand him off on a reverse and he throws a pass 40 yards downfield to a wide open receiver, that kind of thing. But Terrell Pryor, Ted Ginn, you know, to add depth and, and maybe even a little bit more open up the playbook a little bit for guys like those. Yeah, I, I like Terrell Pryor a lot, but I feel like, from a skill set standpoint, I mean, obviously he's got the the quarterbacking ability, and he can he can do some things as a runner. But at, at the wide receiver position specifically, I feel like he's he offers a similar threat, at least from what, how he was used in Cleveland as Alshon Jeffrey. And I feel like I would rather just give Alshon Jeffrey the money. I mean, not that Pryor probably won't get quite Alshon's money, but I, I would just pay Alshon Jeffrey if you're gonna if if you're trying to just replace him with Terrell Pryor. But you know, I, I'm a big fan of uh, uh, Kenny Stills from the Dolphins. I think he could be a guy that. You know, not going to be necessarily a game changer, but he's still young, and I think he still has his ceiling to be reached. And you bring him here and get him involved with, you know, Alshon Jeffrey taking some of the pressure off of him on the outside. And I think Robert Woods falls in that category too. A couple of guys that maybe haven't quite lived up to what you wanted from them, but I, th- I think giving them a change of situation would would really help open things up for them. I, I worry about Ted Ginn only because of his age. I mean, he's only 32, but. As a kick returner, I, I get worried when, you know, a guy like Devin Hester, that's kind of when he started to drop off. And Ginn was still decent this year, but I worry that one of these years is going to be the year that he just loses a step and, and doesn't look as explosive. I feel like a kick returner is more of a position that you can throw bodies at and just take the fastest, most explosive guys you can find and, you know, throw undrafted rookies there. And I mean, a guy like Addison, the guy they signed late in the season, I thought he at least showed a little bit of explosiveness back there. And you could even give a guy like Daniel Braverman or even Jeremy Langford an opportunity back at the kickoff position just to see what they have. Because I don't think Deontay Thompson was really getting the job done. And I, I don't really necessarily even expect him to be back next year. But it's not it's not a great wide receiving class of, of free agents. And I think there'll be some good ones in the draft. But you know, I, th- I think a I think guy like Pierre Garçon really highlights this this wide receivers class with Alshon Jeffrey, and that that's not necessarily anything to write home about. Right. So now we go on to the draft, and number three overall pick, highest I've ever seen the Bears pick. Um, what are you doing with that pick? I mean, is it are you are you gonna get a quarterback? Are you trading down? Are you taking you know jamal adams or uh jonathan allen from alabama i mean what what do you have your eyes set on at number three i i'm not opposed to deshaun watson at number three i'm really not but i think you you can't just take a quarterback just because you need to take a quarterback you you don't necessarily just take him at three because you need one i think that's how you get blake bortles drafted at third overall but you know if jonathan allen from alabama is there i'm taking him and if miles garrett from texas a&m is there i'm taking him i mean i have no issues taking a, a top elite defensive player over a quarterback at that position even if 
quarterback might be more important for the long-term future of this Bears team. I just think what the Bears one of the, one of the big things the Bears lack is just elite game-changing talent and if you don't feel like this quarterback is going to be an elite game-changing talent right away, go get the player that you think will be. And I think Miles Garrett or Jonathan Allen, even if even if you feel like you're deep at outside linebacker and defensive end, you can never have too many. I mean, just look at the Houston Texans. That's how they built that defense. They just go out and take the best player to get the most talent as possible on your defense because if you make your defense better, it's going to make it easier on your quarterback. And you can you know you can go back and take a quarterback in the second round or trade up in the first round or you know maybe you get Tyrod Taylor this offseason and and then it's not as big of a deal to draft a quarterback. But I, I do think Deshaun Watson is probably the best of this class. He he can do a lot. Not only is he athletic, but he sees the field well. He can throw downfield and he really is good at sort of innovating. Like I, I saw some plays from him that looked like and he's I'm not trying to say he is Brett Favre but some Brett Favre like plays where the thing just completely breaks down he's scrambling outside the pocket he's looking he kind of just chucks it and you're wondering where he's where he's throwing it to and he just hits a wide open receiver downfield that he he saw completely across the field he keeps those eyes downfield and he, he can just really freelance and make things happen and I don't think he forces the ball too much he doesn't do a lot of risky throws but he knows when to take those shots downfield and, and how to hit them effectively so I think He's probably going to be the top quarterback in this class. Maybe he won't be the first taken. I think some people are going to end up liking Mitch Trubinsky better, but I, I would take Deshaun Watson over him. And you know, I, I don't, but I don't necessarily think you have to take a quarterback at three overall. I think you can wait. We saw a guy like Derek Carr was a second round pick. It's about getting the right guy. It's not about where you take him. No, I definitely agree. And and I'm, I just I don't like the idea of using the the spot at number three because I don't think that there's like a and Andrew Luck uh, in this in this draft that would be worth taking, or even a Carson Wentz. Obviously, he turned out to be the better of the two quarterbacks uh, there. I don't I don't think that there's a franchise quarterback, and I, I really don't. I just at least especially not at number three, and all the pressure in the world the Bears have to do something at quarterback. Jay is signed for at least two more seasons. You know, do we bring him back? Do we let him go? You know, all that kind of stuff. Smart money would say to keep him as far as like just just because, um, you know, but obviously it, it's time to move on. I mean, I don't think anybody would argue with that, but I really couldn't argue against the Bears keeping them because with this year's draft class, it's just not a good year to be a quarterback needy team at the top of the draft. You know, I think that's getting a little bit overblown. I think these are good. I mean, maybe there's not an Andrew Luck and maybe there's not necessarily a Carson Wentz, but I think there's going to be some Teddy Bridgewaters and there's going to be some some of those sort of like not not one not tier one but maybe not tier two but like tier one b maybe where they're not going to be ready to step in and, and lead your team to 10 wins as a rookie but they're, they're just there's a lot of guys that just need just a little bit more work i mean a guy like um the notre dame kid deshaun kaiser yeah he has a really talented arm but to me with him his timing is just a little bit off he's a, he's very much a see it throw it quarterback like jay you know the guy has to be open and then he makes the decision to throw it but that's something that you know, another year of working with a coaching staff would really put that away from him. And then same thing with a guy like Mitch Trubinsky. I think he's got some really nice mechanics. His footwork and his arm looks really good, but he just needs more opportunities to sort of see those different situations and know, you know, when he needs to put a little more touch on a deep ball or when he needs to fire it in there a little bit quicker to, to you know, based on the coverage and based on the situation that he's in, how he needs to throw the ball. You know, that's the kind of thing where you don't, you don't necessarily want him to start 16 games as a rookie, but those guys could be a year from now a really, really good quarterback, and if they even if they declare this year, you draft him and stash him for a year, and they they could prove to be a, a Carson Wentz or a, or even 
maybe not quite Andrew Luck level, but good quality starting NFL quarterbacks that just aren't ready yet in year one. I think that's that's what separates this class a little bit from the previous ones is that the talent is there and the ceiling is there, but the floors are just a little bit lower than they have in years past. Well, more so my concern is where the Bears are picking. If we're picking at 13 or 14 or something like that and Watson or Kaiser or Trubisky is waiting for us at 13 or 14, take the quarterback there. But we're picking at number three, and I don't think that any of those guys is better than, say, Jonathan Allen or a Miles Garrett or even like a you know, a Jamal Adams or, or anybody like that uh, that we could you know be the impact player uh, at number three, like you said. If they're, they're not the impact player, then we need to pick somebody else. Also, we're picking three or four in the second round. I would have no problem with the Bears taking a quarterback at that spot. I just don't think at the top of the draft – reaching for a guy like Watson or Kaiser or Trubisky or anybody else for that matter is worth the risk at this point, you know, with, with, you know, it just hasn't been that year where everyone's looking forward to seeing these guys in the NFL. Yeah, I totally agree. You you have to take a player that's going to help your team win games because we know, I mean, this team isn't that, isn't necessarily that far away from potential success. I mean, they were six and 10 last year and there were so many of those games too, where they ended up losing at the last minute and, you know, falling a little bit short on some comebacks, but you felt like they were ready to take the step, you know, the next step pretty quickly. And obviously this year was not that, but there is a lot of talent on this roster. And I think you can win football games with the team that you have now. And you need to just add more talented players. And I think the the quarterback class makes a good case for at least keeping Jay Cutler around. You know, you don't necessarily have to commit to him as your starting quarterback, but you know, you can be Ryan Pace and say, you know what, Jay's going to be here. You know, we've got Connor Shaw. We're going to re-sign Matt Barkley or we're going to re-sign Brian Hoyer. We're going to re-sign some other veteran quarterback and we're going to draft a guy and we're just going to say the best one's going to start and the other two are going to be backups and it's, it's an open competition and maybe Jay Cutler starts the season or maybe you take you know, uh, a guy like John, Josh Allen from Wyoming in the second round or something, and he comes out in the preseason and looks great, and he's your starter week one, and, and great. Or maybe Connor Shaw looks great in the preseason, and he's your starter week one, great. But I, I feel like you can't just throw all your other, you know, quarterbacks out the boat, just get rid of Jay Cutler for the sake of it, and and then go into the season with maybe nothing else consistent at the position. I think this is a, this is a year where you can just throw bodies at the position you have. I mean, Jay Cutler can win you football games, and, and it feels like Connor Shaw might be able to win you football games. It just seems like you, you, you're not going to be able to get one solid, this guy is our starting quarterback for sure option this year. So why why get rid of anyone? Just keep them. And you know you can always cut Jay Cutler later on if you really wanted to and not have a penalty from that. So just keep them all, bring them all with you and just let the best one win. You know, don't, don't give anybody the job. Don't say any, you know, Jay's not going to start or Jay's going to start. Just open competition, you know, and let the, let the cream rise to the top. Absolutely. I, I totally agree with that. So finally, as we wrap things up here, 2017 opponents we got the afc north and the nfc south uh next year and uh we got so we got at home games atlanta carolina cleveland pittsburgh detroit green bay and minnesota and then same place for the third year in a row the san francisco 49ers uh away schedule uh new orleans tampa bay uh again at tampa bay this is the third year in a row for tampa bay on the road or something like that. I don't know. Um, Cincinnati, Baltimore, uh, Philadelphia is the same place opponent on the road this time, and then Detroit, Green Bay, uh, Minnesota. What, what do you think about this schedule uh, for next year? AFC North, NFC South. Uh, like you and I kind of talked about a little bit off the air, it, 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 last year it kind of felt like the Bears were would 
be able to roll through the AFC South and at least get a decent way through the NFC East. But it kind of turned out that the NFC East was one of the best divisions in football, if not the best. And uh, the AFC South didn't seem to make a difference for the Bears. They couldn't even beat the Jacksonville Jaguars. So it didn't really matter there. But it's definitely concerning on paper just because you always feel like the NFC South, a lot of offense in that division, and it's tough to keep up with them. They always kind of finish close to each other because they seem to beat each other up and no one's really able to pull away there. But obviously Atlanta has been one of the better teams this year, and and they're probably going to come back pretty strong next year. And then even the AFC North, I mean – Pittsburgh and Baltimore, they're always, you know, again, they, they never seem to be able to like pull away and dominate, but they're always really, really tough teams. And I think those are going to be some some tough matchups. And obviously Cleveland will be a little bit of an easier one. San Francisco, they kind of lucked out playing them again. And uh, what, what was the other team? Was it Tampa Bay again that they're playing? Or uh, Philadelphia. Philadelphia, you, yeah. Yeah, you kind of wonder the way they fell off this year, what they're going to do next year. I mean, they started out so hot, but, you know, it's, it's not – I, I don't know. It, it kind of depends so much on what the Bears do. I mean, this is a three and thirteen team right now, and they have a lot of work to do. And if if they can really kind of turn this roster around, you you feel like you know just based on early early starting the schedule, it's, it's about a five hundred ish you know opponent. Uh, I guess um, you know just a five hundred schedule right there, just because of there's a lot of talent there, but there are also win, winnable games there if you can turn this team around and, and get healthy and, and get talent at the positions where they need to. But it's ne- it's definitely not one of those where you can sit back and feel really confident about next year just yet. Yeah, you know, that's the thing about next season is that you just don't know what to expect. You know, you didn't expect that the NFC East would turn around this well uh, this year. You I mean, you, you saw the teams, uh, you know, making some moves. And, and for the most part, the NFC East didn't really do much. The Giants went out and spent that money on defense and that looked like a fantastic job until yesterday uh, when they got their asses kicked by Green Bay but the pass rush was improved they went out and got a brand new secondary you know maybe that's something that the Bears could do they they get the secondary help and all of a sudden we have the best pass rush in football kind of thing but uh, you know the Cowboys they hit on big time with the draft and that offensive line they had was able to you know push them to where they are uh, now the Redskins uh, did well and in, in, in everything despite faltering there at the end. And then, you know, the Eagles, like you said, got off to a hot start and then kind of drifted off at the end when the, the rookie quarterback started looking like a rookie there in the second half of the year. And, uh, you know, the AFC South, they, that was the, the anomaly there was that they did all this work to improve. All those teams went out and made wholesale changes except for Indianapolis. And yet they were still one of the more mediocre divisions in football, but the Bears went 0-4 against them. Yeah, it, I worry that the Bears are going to kind of be that the next, you know, Titans or the next Colts. Well, I guess the Colts didn't make as many changes where they do go out and make wholesale changes. And you're like, okay, this this team might be able to do something this year. And then they end up finishing probably 8-8, eight 9-7, and 7-9, eight, and seven, seven and right in that range. And, and that's kind of where where this team's trajectory is at this point, especially after the 3-13 and 13 season. And then with that, you know, do you bring back John Fox for another year? Is You know, is 8-8 eight and eight or 7-9, and nine, is that – good enough i mean it's it's going to be a really interesting next year because it feels like the bears are going to fall right in that territory where they're not horrible again so you can't just say well the bears finished three and 13 and then four and 12 and so can this guy but you know they might build a talented enough team that they finish eight and eight and then then the question becomes is john fox the coach that can put this roster over the top and Obviously, I think the 2017 season will should be the answer to that. I mean, if, if you feel like in those games, even in those losses, you're, you're close and you're going to be able to, to 
build this team into something even greater the next year, then maybe you, you bring the guy back. But if it's kind of like this year where you, you feel like a lot of points and a lot of plays were left out there on the field, you know, you wonder if, if Ryan Pace is going to be, you know, he said he's going to be patient with him or, or is he going to be even more patient with him or is three years enough? I, I really think this is sort of the make or break year for John Fox. No, no, I definitely agree. I, I definitely think a, a year from now, if it, basically it, it kind of comes down to this. If John Fox is not a coach of the year candidate a year from now, then he should be fired. You know, I, I really kind of think that that's kind of the, that's the jump that the Bears need to make in order to justify another year of John Fox as the head coach. I totally agree. I mean, maybe not, maybe not the you know candidate. I agree, coach of the year candidate. Maybe not he's the, but I mean, if he he have, absolutely has to improve. I think the wins have to improve from the first season. Have to be at least six and ten, and really, you should be in the playoff conversation, even if you don't win the division, and even if you go nine and seven and ultimately fall as probably you know the third or fourth on the wild card list, so you don't even sneak in the playoffs. You have to show that there's reasons to be hopeful for the future with this team and. He didn't show that in 2016, and he definitely has to in 2017 if he wants to keep his job. Definitely agree with that. So I think we'll stop there. Lauren, thanks so much uh, for coming back and, uh, you know, spitballing this uh, with me, talking me through this terrible, uh, painful season. It is finally over, so we can close the book on it now, look forward to free agency, the draft, and then into the regular season with 2017. We look forward to having you back on to help preview um, this year after we've gotten done figuring out who the Bears think they're going to be in 2017. Uh, absolutely. It was, it was as fun as always. It's always a good time coming on here and, and talking Bears with you, even if it was a 3-13 and 13 season and we were kind of <laughs> getting a little bit negative, you know, hashing out some of the memories of some pretty bad losses this year. So are, do you and, and, and Phil, do you guys do that uh, during the offseason as well, or is just the like pregame, postgame thing? Yeah, we're definitely going to be doing it this offseason. We're still locking down specifically when and, and how often we're going to do it, but we, we will be doing our live. It's Bears Hour Live on Twitter. Uh, you know, We take calls and, and go live on the air for an hour, and, and we're going to do plenty of free agency and draft stuff with that. We're just not 100% sure yet what ex- what specifically our plans will be, but we'll definitely be doing that and starting that up in the next week or so. Okay, great. So be on the lookout uh, for that. Lauren Cox from BearsWire.com, thanks so much uh, for helping us uh, run down the year. And that will do it. For the 2016 year in review episode, I don't have anything to add. You know, I thought about doing a, a end of the year bear up, bear down list, but um, to hell with that. Let's just go with uh, one thing, our most valuable player, and that would definitely be Jordan Howard. 1,313 yards, rushing a 5.2 yard per carry average. Only six touchdowns, which is more on the offense than it is on on him but an outstanding rookie campaign didn't start a game till the fourth game of the season and like you heard uh, lauren cox say you know with that the whole thing the indictment of dole loggins and him saying that stupid thing about not knowing what he had in jordan howard it's like if jeremy langford hadn't gotten hurt you know what a blessing in disguise that turned out to be so um you know bear up to jeremy langford for messing up his ankle and having to step aside for jordan howard Oh, man, what a year that kid had. Looking forward to seeing what he and a healthier bunch of Bears can do 
2017. So, um, like I said, we'll reconvene in, in, in at the beginning of March, uh, unless something big happens between now and then, uh, to talk about the 2017 free agency preview. If you have anything then uh, or between now and then, feel free to send me an email, uh, ChicagoBearsReview at Yahoo.com. Uh, hit me up on Twitter at ShyBearsReview or Instagram is also at ShyBearsReview. Uh, or just say uh, say what's up on the Facebook page. Just search Chicago Bears Review on Facebook. Uh, you know, present a topic or whatever, and uh, you know, either I'll answer you there, or, or maybe it'll be good enough. I'll do a show on it just to break up the monotony between now and the free agency preview. So, um, so until then, let's let's plan on on uh, you know getting back together in March if uh, you know if nothing else comes up, and uh, you know, as I usually say, until then. My name is Larry D, and as always, this has been the Chicago Bears Review. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates Northbrook, Illinois.